0: Welcome to The Possibility Podcast. I'm Mel Schwartz, your host and thought provocateur. I've been practicing psychotherapy for well over 20 years. During that time, I've been so fortunate to witness countless breakthroughs while working with people, whether one-on-one, as a speaker, in professional trainings, or in workshops. The insights that I've garnered have inspired me to write over 100 articles and several books, including the companion title to this podcast, possibility principle which you can find wherever books are sold on this and every episode i'll be introducing new ways of thinking relating and communicating to help you truly thrive in your life to reach the possibilities that you may long for think of this as a new game plan for living thanks for enjoying my emerging community of possibility seekers and i hope you enjoy the show folks, in the middle of this pandemic, I've decided to devote today's episode toward coping mechanisms, mitigating fear, and looking to see if we can find some opportunities here in the midst of this crisis. And there is no better guest that I could have on the show than my friend, Paul Samuel Dolman, host of What Matters Most podcast and the author of six books, including notably Hitchhiking, with Larry David. Welcome to the show, Paul.
1: Mel, I am so happy to be talking to you and honored that you would single me out because I always enjoy our time together. I always come away feeling radically expanded and wiser. Thank you for inviting me on.
0: My pleasure. And we have some real challenges in the, in the forefront facing humanity right now. I'm going to be looking at and prompting your thoughts and questions and comments on how we can mitigate our fear in the midst of a pandemic. Fear is normal under these circumstances, but not being overwhelmed by fear mm. is is certainly the goal. As you know from much of my work, I've spoken about embracing uncertainty rather than resisting it, our need to know the future creates distress and anxiety and fear. But here we all want the sense of, what do I do best to stay safe? And although that information is out there, there's nevertheless the fear of, is that safe enough? What will happen if I get the virus? Will I be okay? Your thoughts, Paul, on this challenge with uncertainty in the circumstance?
1: it's beautiful and I say that truly that we are focusing on uncertainty first because you and I have had so many conversations about this and what has really happened is the illusion of certainty is crumbling there never was any certainty there never really was I have always felt like I make my plans in a very limited way with the hope that they might unfold fold the way I intend them in this moment, but with a deeper understanding that infinite particles can change in any direction, any moment. And this is just what it's doing is tearing away the illusion that we were promised a 401k, a retirement, that the plant would never close, that we'd always be healthy and live a long life. All of that was never promised, only the moment, as cliche as that sounds. Now, that can be very esoteric. So how do we then cope with it as a mammal here on Earth now? And I believe we are spirits in these beautiful carbon encased trillion cell miracle suits. But I'm looking at this whole thing as a massive invitation and an opportunity to perhaps create a better world. Or if not, have the herd thin, you know, thinned out a lot or a little. I believe that everyone sooner or later is going to be exposed to this virus just because we're all so connected, which is a truth. And then it will act on us individually based on where we are in terms of our health, our physical health, our immune system, our stress levels, our perhaps our genetics. And so all we can do is try to be as healthy as we can, not be stressed out. Rests and take this time to reevaluate what matters most, like the name of my podcast, to us only only you, the listener, can figure that out. Mel, I see this as an opening
0: well, that's really all very well framed paul so let's let's take a look at each of these components as we're talking about them. Nothing was ever certain, but of course, we operate from certain assumptions if we're healthy, if we're not particularly old. We operate from the belief that we will continue to live, perhaps for quite some time. We operate from the belief that friends and family should maintain their safety. This jolts us in an altogether new way. Now, our focus in our culture has been around maintaining a vigilance of habit, social distancing, not putting our hands to our face, keeping our hands clean, but People aren't really speaking to a vigilance of mind. And what I mean by vigilance of mind is the ability to see fearful thought arising and see it as thought and distance from it and choose not to become that thought because it won't serve any purpose other than raising my blood pressure, increasing my heart rate, and then ironically, perhaps depressing my immune system, which I need. So vigilance of mind for me is, as you know, and we've discussed this many times before, seeing the fearful thought and not becoming the fearful thought. What's your take on that, Paul?
1: I like what you did because you're shifting your focus and anyone can do this who's listening to that of the eternal observer who lies beyond life and death. So by becoming the observer, you take yourself out of just unconscious stimulus and response. Of course, you're going to have a stimulus response thought like, I don't want to die. I don't want to get my parents sick. I don't want to lose my child, the loved one. It's natural. Don't try to resist it or make it wrong. But then, like Mel said, you could take a breath, you can be present and look at that thought, whatever it is, and say, this does not serve me. So in this moment, is there anything I can do that I need to do to become maybe a bit more safe or guarded? And the one thing, the answer always would be yes, is to reduce stress, which taxes our immune systems and makes us more vulnerable to Billions of other pathogens that existed before the corona, this particular strand, took wing. So by looking at it and saying, well, I'm okay now. I'm in my house. I don't have to be afraid. Or maybe I'll move away from the person who's coughing. Or I won't worry about what might happen months from now or next year. In a wide variety of things, we don't know what's going to happen. What can I do now that brings me peace? Allows me to be effective and efficient and healthy. Is there anything I need to do now? Does that thought serve me? When I wake up in the middle of the night with a, an absurd thought that I can take no action on, I try to override it and just say, I'm not going to give that any energy right now. I'm going to focus on my breathing, fall back asleep. And perhaps in the morning, if it is something worth thinking about, after a cup of coffee, I'll break it down and see if I need to take action. That's what I hear you saying.
0: Yes, as a very interesting take on that, being present in the moment requires seeing my thought and choosing whether to become that thought or not. So, old thought, and you know, in the, in the chronicles of our life, old thought keeps recurring and it often keeps us stuck. Here, in the in the midst of a pandemic, the fearful thought is often as to our well-being, not getting infected. Care and concern for our loved ones. So, in the moment, if you're healthy as far as you know, <laughs> and those that you love are healthy, then being present in the moment is seeing the anticipatory, fearful thought, which sets up anxiety. And just imagine putting your forefinger over your lips and just going, shh, mm. quiet down. Or a new analogy I've created is people who love fishing. And when they fish, they catch and release. Mm. So you catch the thought, the fearful thought, and release it. And of course, folks, this works for far beyond fear of coronavirus. It works for all anxiety and all fear. So that's the framework for staying present and mindful, the vigilance of thought. But Paul, there are a couple of other things I wanted to discuss with you. We live in an extremely competitive, individualistic society. As you know, the extremity of individualism is selfish. The irony again here is that in this pandemic, selfishness makes no sense because we are all actually as one. Because my safety and well-being is interdependent with the safety and well-being of those whom I come in contact with. So I see great opportunity here to shift from the greedy exceptionalism and individualism of our culture. I've had so many opportunities in my work as a therapist, working particularly with younger people who are cavalier. And they say, if I get it, it's no big deal. My response is yes. But then, unknowingly, Think about the lives you might imperil as you cross paths with them. I recently asked my two sons who live in New York City to get out of the city and come live in our home, which is Westport, Connecticut. They are in their 30s and they said, that would be great, dad, but we won't come if you're there because although we think we're fine, you never know, we wouldn't want to infect you. So they came to my home and we vacated to another location. It's that level of awareness. In 1964, there was a great earthquake in Anchorage, Alaska. I recall it well because my uncle was in Anchorage at the time. And amidst the unbelievable carnage and mayhem, the people of Anchorage all came together in a humanistic way to support each other. So there's a paradox here. Mm -hmm. We need to keep social distance, we need to maintain our separation from one another, and at the same time, we need to tend to each other. So it's a a non-logical, non-linear paradox, but we must care for ourselves and for everyone else. Your thoughts on that, Paul?
1: I love that. And there is a bit of irony. I flew up here to Nashville this week because I wanted to help with the tornado cleanup and support my friends. They just had a bad tornado like a week ago. A lot of people lost their homes, their livelihoods. Some people lost their lives. And I love the way Nashville has always come together. They say Nashville's strong in a time of disaster. And I keep thinking we don't need a pandemic to shift to a unity-based paradigm. And this is what this is inviting us into, that I feel like we're looking for solutions. Everybody's looking for solutions. I wish I was on television as our leader and had the power because I would go on and say, we have enough food, we have enough housing, we have enough medicine. We will no longer deny anyone's needs because of profit, competition, or a mindset that we invented or structures that we invented. I just want to know everybody's going to have something to eat. They're going to have the medicine they want, and we're going to find new shelter. It may take a little while, but that's what we're going to do. We have empty rooms around the country. We have plenty of food and warehouses. We have plenty of medicine. And what we don't have, we're going to gear up and make right away. And so everybody can relax. No one's going to starve to death, die from a lack of insulin under my watch. And that I would strongly encourage those with billions of dollars to join us and participate while they can in sharing this human experience. Because I feel like what we've done before, in my opinion, doesn't work if millions go hungry, millions sleep on the streets, millions are uninsured, people die because they can't afford insulin. To me, that's not success. My definition of success is, and I'm not religious, but I like what the teacher Jesus said. For that which you do to the least, you do to me. And I hear that as Buddhism because I see the least in any life form as an extension of the one life, which I am a part of. And while I was born with great privilege and opportunity and not without a path of suffering, because I'm in polarity, I see that I am here to share and extend my heart and soul and means to all others within the framework of healthy boundaries. So this is what I see as the great opportunity here. I know some people will screech, that's communism, socialism, or God only knows what else. Sadly, a lot of those screeching don't have anything. They just been, in my opinion, they've been taught a different structure and I will respect that. But beyond ideology is a baby that's hungry, and I just would like to have that baby be fed, or a grandmother that needs a blanket. And maybe that's your grandmother if you're listening. I don't see the difference. I think this is what we need to do. This is my opinion, and this is what I'm going to try to work for in the breasts that I have that remain here on this planet for me.
0: As you know, Paul, uh, much of my work is around the concept, the quantum concept of inseparability Mm -hmm. and and oneness. Although profoundly spiritual for my listeners who aren't familiar with my work, I come at it from science, which is profoundly spiritual, but I lead with the science. And that science is indicating that reality is unimaginably, counterintuitively, one inseparable whole. Well, folks, imagine this, that disregarded, poor, hopeless, homeless person laying in abysmal condition somewhere has a direct impact on our lives Mm. because now they are more likely to spread this disease. So imagine the connection between the homeless person and the billionaire.
1: Mm.
0: They become as one, inseparable. There's always opportunity in crisis, as we discussed before, I recalled during the Great Recession, which will no longer seem like the Great Recession, comparable to what we're going through now. Mm -hmm. I worked with many individuals who were captains of industry and heads of Wall Street. And as they grieved their temporary loss of abundance and wealth, we looked at what was the opportunity. Individuals who had no time for family and children now found themselves at home, with ample time and that they could use that time to foster and develop greater relationships with themselves and with others. The opportunities here are a bit different, but now with so many people no longer going to the office and working from home, there's a reconnecting of family in proximity to each other, not running out. Folks, this is the time to reconnect and reconfigure and heal wounded relationships to get in touch with empathy and compassion and emotional intelligence and verbal intelligence. These are just a few of the opportunities here, but we must always come back to the moment because in the moment, if we're okay, that is all we truly have is that moment. And to waste those moments Attaching to fearful thoughts around what if ruin the opportunity in those moments. So again, we need to quiet our need to know the future, to know the unknowable. That is the root of anxiety and distress. Easier said than done. But this is accomplishable. It's a major theme in my book, The Possibility Principle. And I am getting inquiries from people all over the world for phone or FaceTime sessions now, Paul, to help them move through this despair and fear and come into a place of harmony, notwithstanding the absolutely horrific conditions that
1: we're facing. That's beautiful. And I know we can't predict the future. That's what we're starting the premise on. But I feel like there's going to be a great transformation in our society here, whether we like it or not. And the amount of suffering, like with individuals, will be in direct correlation in relation to the things we choose to do today, tomorrow and the next day in terms of preparation and how we approach this, if we choose to ignore it right up and through its high point, I feel like there will be catastrophic loss. That's just natural consequences. What do you feel, Mel? Do you have any thoughts on this? I had
0: a thought that occurred last night, Paul, and at the risk of sounding new agey, which I'm always cautious about. You know, there's something folks call the Gaia hypothesis, which is that the planet Earth is alive and conscious and in perpetual connection with humanity and animals and all of nature. Well, the thought that occurred to me was, as we are abysmally failing in curbing global warming, the planet provided some temporary relief to sustain itself in that industry, pollution, emission of fossil fuels, all has come to a screeching halt, almost a near halt, giving the planet an opportunity to sustain itself, if not breathe. And maybe there's an opportunity to rethink our relationship with ourselves, with one another, and the planet as the whole. If we look at this pandemic in a purposeful way, what's the takeaway? What can we look at here? Instead of just looking at it as a horrific enemy, there's something to be learned, I'm sure. And your final thoughts on this, Paul?
1: Well, it's funny, I thought the same thing, and I believe in the Gaia principle, because I think everything's conscious, especially this incredible organism we call the earth and the biosphere. And I wondered immediately if it was an immune response, because there's too many of us that are unconscious. And it's designed like the body, like everything, it's an hologram to protect itself. Pollution is way down and the the population may be way down. So not to blame or point any fingers, I think, again, to call in an urgency to come and live within harmony within yourself with your thoughts. Let's take it back to basics. Live in harmony as best you can with your neighbor. And that we need to collectively live in harmony with other countries, with ourselves, and with the earth. We're not bigger than anything. Chief Seattle, one of my heroes, wrote a letter to the president in the 1800s and a quote that has always stuck with me. Man did not weave the web of life. He is merely a strand in it. So I think a more humble, respectful approach of the whole, and not to be too new agey, but truly the miracle of creation in which we are a tiny aspect, let us bring ourselves into harmony personally and collectively, and regardless of outcome, I think that will be our best path forward. Yeah, oh, that's, that's beautifully
0: said, Paul. Just absolutely beautiful. I really appreciate those thoughts. And let's remember, folks, the opportunities here for compassion, empathy, and valuing those around us. So, as you pull into a parking lot of the supermarket, think about the elderly people you see in a car and go over and offer to them stay in a car. I'll get your groceries for you. There's no need to expose you any further. Well, thank you so much, Paul, for joining me today. And to all the listeners out there, stay safe, stay mindful, and keep a vigilance not just of habit, but of mind. Till the next time, thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Possibility Podcast with me, Mel Schwartz. To learn more about this topic and related subjects, please be sure to check out the Possibility Principle, my book, at thepossibilityprinciple.com. I always welcome and look forward to your feedback. Please leave a comment at the show notes for this episode at melschwartz.com/podcast, or simply send me an email at mel at melschwartz.com. You can also use that email address if you'd like. to be a caller on a future show and have a topic you'd like me to discuss. If you never want to miss an episode, find The Possibility Principle in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. and Be sure to hit that subscribe button. You'll get new episodes as soon as they are released. And if you know anyone who might benefit from The Possibility Podcast, please tell them about the show. Thank you for listening. And until next time, have a great day and keep summoning up those new possibilities. Oh, 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 oh,